Thank you so much. We've been talking these last few weeks about what the Lord Jesus can teach us about prayer. And there's so much in the Word of God on this topic, but um, it's been personally encouraging to just see how clear um, and focused Jesus is as he speaks to us and teaches us through parables and stories and other ways about the nature of our relationship to him. And last time, the last couple of weeks, we've been in Luke chapter 18, which is where I'd like you to turn this morning back to Luke chapter 18, if you have a copy of the scriptures. Jesus told a couple of stories. The first parable was the story about a judge, an unrighteous judge who was unwilling to meet the needs of a persistent widow, but yet she came over and over and over. She was relentless in her appeal for justice because she knew that only he could grant it, and ultimately he relented, not out of mercy or kindness, because the story told us that this judge neither feared God nor had compassion on people. (laughs) How would you like to stand before a judge like that? How would you like to have anyone in influence or authority over your life who neither fears God nor has an ounce of compassion for your situation? But that's the story. But Jesus is not um, teaching on kind of a judgmental spirit or kind of someone abusing authority. That's not the message of this story. He's teaching on prayer. He wants his disciples, he wants all of us to understand there are really only two ways to live our lives. We can either pray, which really means we are willing to throw ourselves at every moment in every possible way at the mercy of a gracious, loving, faithful God, which is expressed in our willingness to bow before him in prayer, or we're going to faint. We're going to give up. We're going to quit. We're going to come to the end of our resources. We're going, to, we're going to take this kind of determined course of our lives all the way to its end, and it's going to be, it's going to be for naught. There's only two options, and so he's teaching on prayer. We're either going to pray or we're going to faint. We're either going to find the resources of God fully and wholly sufficient in our lives, or we're going to run out of our own and end up throwing in the towel. And we all have experience. We have people in our lives that you can see them. They're on that determined course. You see the individuals that are so committed to living their lives in full obedience and humility before the Lord. And it is expressed in their their devotion and, and in their passion for prayer. They're talking to the Lord. They're bringing their lives before him. They're they're not striking out on their own. They're trusting him every moment of the day for how they raise their children or run their businesses or lead their lives or have their conversations, all of these things. The opposite is also true. We see individuals, and this is harder to watch, the people, and, and we've all been there, certainly, that just somehow live like we don't need God. And I'm talking about Christian, they're follow, you know, followers of God who just who live like he's not even there. We can go day after day, week after week, month after month, even year after year without ever acknowledging his goodness and faithfulness by bowing to him in prayer and saying, Lord, we don't want you to just bless our lives. 
We want you to transform our lives. We don't want you to just take this, this great schedule that we've cooked up for this next 12 months and somehow show your favor on it. We want you to order the schedule. We want you to determine our paths. We want you to show us how you want us to invest our lives and our time and our talent. We don't want to rely on our own understanding, but, but rather trust, trust in you with our whole heart. That's the idea. And so that was parable number one. He taught us to pray. He, he teaches us that we can either pray or we can go it alone and eventually give up. But then there's a sequel. We're in kind of an age of sequels, aren't we? And they're always not as good as the first. But this one, this one is. This one, this one holds true. This is a second story that Jesus tells on the heels of the first one. And guess what? It's also about prayer. He teaches something about prayer. It starts in verse 9. Luke records it. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. By the way, that is going to be a hindrance to, the, to your experience of God's favor and supply in your life through prayer if you are confident in your own righteousness. Do you know what that means? That simply means that you have a better understanding of what it looks like to live rightly before God than God does. It doesn't matter to you what he feels about your thought life. It doesn't matter to you how God feels about your attitudes or about the words that are coming out of your mouth or about the lifestyle or the way you treat your body. You, you simply have your own confidence in the fact that you're okay. The way you're living your life, the way you're ordering your world is superior to the way God would have it. That's what he's saying. Luke says Jesus told this sequel story to people who were confident in their own righteousness. Now watch the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. In that culture, that's where people went to pray. They went to seek God at the temple. So two men were compelled to pray. So far, so good, yes? <laughs> so far. One, a Pharisee, a religious elite, that's the individual who is confident in his own righteousness. And the other, a tax collector, vis-a-vis, -a, -vis, a sinner. Get the picture? One had full knowledge of religion, yet confidence in his own righteousness. The other was a tax collector. No categories. Absolutely bankrupt of any spiritual knowledge. A tax collector in that culture was a sinner. Do you remember when Jesus had his first encounter with the Pharisees? What was their big problem with him? Well, he, his sermons are too long. <laughs> I didn't say that. You know, he tells too many dumb jokes. I wish he'd just get to the point. No, that wasn't the problem. You know what they said? He eats with sinners. You see, they had gotten wind and had a report that Matthew, a new convert, a tax collector, had actually opened his home 
and invited some of his colleagues, also tax collectors, but considered in that culture the most vile of humanity, sinners. And he had invited them into his home, and he also invited Jesus so that they would be able to be exposed to the same thing that changed his life. Now, doesn't that sound like a great idea? We ought to try that this summer. You know? Just invite people into our homes who otherwise would never be exposed to the, to the Jesus that has transformed our lives. Well, the Pharisees heard about this, and they were indignant because he was eating with sinners. He was eating with tax collectors. So Jesus said, these two men, one confident in his own righteousness, a Pharisee, and a tax collector, one of these individuals who probably would have been welcome in Matthew's home, although no categories, they both came to pray. Now we're going to learn something about the nature of prayer based on the attitudes of these two men as they came. The Pharisee, verse 11, Jesus said, stood by himself and prayed. Now, the English translation that I have does not have a literal translation, but literally it would say the Pharisee stood by himself and said to himself. <laughs> He's talking to himself under the guise of prayer. God, now this is a script. I thank you that I am not like other people. Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. Robbers, you know, evildoers, adulterers. He assumed that God needed clarification on the kinds of people he was thankful that he was not like. So he reminded God, you know, that you're against robbery, you're against thievery, you're against adultery. God, as I talk to myself in prayer, I, I want you to know how thankful I am that I have not made that list. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's laughable. Or, he says, even like this tax collector. Can you imagine? And, and then he, he gives his qualifications. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Just so you know, Lord, not only am I thankful that I'm not a robber or an evildoer, an adulterer, or even a tax collector, I want you to know that I'm one of those who fasts twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Oh, Lord God of heaven. That's the first guy. Look at me, Lord. Man, Lord, aren't you glad I don't live like them? Those people over there. Now, there would have been immediate tension in the hearing of this parable because this audience would have heard a Pharisee, oh, the righteous epitome of religiosity, and a tax collector. They would have been offended. Everybody hated the tax collector. They were such an enormous threat to everything they held dear. There was huge tension in this story. We, we, we don't necessarily have that, although, you know, we're not that fond of maybe tax collectors either. 
So today it might go something like this. For those who were confident in their own righteousness, Jesus told them this story. Two men went to church to pray. One was a conservative evangelical Baptist. The other was a homosexual professor. Now you feel the tension the original hearers would have felt. Both came before God. One was confident in his own righteousness. The other was not. Feel it? Now watch this story. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wasn't even in the main room. Couldn't bring himself into the, to, to, the, to the court. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But rather he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, not the other one, went home justified before God found God's favor, moved his heart. This one, the one who prayed this prayer, who had this attitude, he, he did not want to even presume upon God or this place of prayer. He, he, he removed himself from any public view. He beat his breast in humility and he cried out to God for mercy and he acknowledged, I am a sinner. This this is the beginning of powerful, effective prayer that God will move. He will respond to this every single time. Now this, I want you to see another kind of passage. Hold your finger there. Go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. This is amazing to me. If you're a student of the, the Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, you'll probably understand a little better the context of this story. But David, this great shepherd king, was a passionate follower of God. He was very gifted as a warrior, uh, but also as an artist, a musician, a composer. Uh, he was kind of a renaissance individual. Uh, but he feared God and he loved the Lord. But he, he had a kink in his armor. He had a weakness. And he fell he fell into uh, sexual sin and actually had an affair uh, with a, another man's wife and in the process tried to hide it by having his, her husband kind of murdered. So this was a horrifying scene. But yet he continued in this, this vein of leading God's people. And the story goes in, in, in 2 Samuel that, that God appointed an individual. His name was Nathan. This was a man who loved David enough to step into his kind of his personal space and say, David, you need to know there's at least one other person on the planet who knows you're not the real deal. You might be smoking all of Israel, but you're not smoking God. And he said, You're the man. And it broke him. 
Listen to me, young people. <laughs> take it from the scriptures. Take it, take it from a few of us old guys with silver hair. You're not smoking anybody. You might think your parents don't know. You might think your teachers don't know. You might think the people around you don't know the kind of life you're living. But I, you need to know. God knows. It broke him. And here's the prayer. Listen to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Who does that sound like? That sounds like the other guy. That sounds like the tax collector. Blot out all my transgression. I know my sins. My sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Oh, wow. Give us an army of young men who are willing to say at the beginning of their lives, Lord, you are right about my life. You judge correctly when you see my thoughts, when you see the motives of my heart, the activities of my mind. You are right, and I humble myself before you, and I call upon you for mercy. Lord God, raise up an army of young men like that. Because we've all seen the devastating ruins of a generation of people who say, you know what, I'm right, God's wrong, I'm going to live my own life the way I see fit to live it, and it leaves bodies and families and ministries and everything else in its ruinous wake. You show me a young man or a young woman who is willing to pray this prayer, Lord, you are right about me. I want to follow you. And I will tell you, that person will change the world for Christ. What a prayer. Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The sacrifices of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Here's the Pharisee talking to himself. Man, I'm sure glad I'm not like those people, God. You know, those people down the block or these people over here, the way they live their lives and raise their kids. Man, I'm sure glad I don't live like that. Boy, look at those people doing that over there. Lord, I'm so glad that's not us. Then you've got this tax collector over here that's just got his face covered. And he's saying, have mercy on me, oh God. Because I am, I am like that. That is me. That's me, Lord. I need your mercy. That's the deal. That's the real deal. The other great story, and I'm going to have to do this quick. Um, it, hey, it's Mother's Day. I know you've got some dinners to go to, so we'll get you out of here. Uh, Isaiah. <laughs> I've been reading Isaiah just in my own time with the Lord. Wow, this guy had it going on. This, this guy had the pedigree. Um, this was not a pull, pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of guy. Not Isaiah. 
There's a lot of people in the scriptures like that, but not Isaiah. This guy was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had the right address. He had the right pedigree. He had the training. He had the diploma. He had the car. He had the big house. He had the big reserves, the portfolio. That's Isaiah. And the Lord God said, you know what, Isaiah? I'm calling you to preach to my people. I mean, he went for the cream of the crop. But he had a work to do in Isaiah's life. And somehow, in the midst of all of this, Isaiah has a life change. It's recorded in in chapter 6 of Isaiah. This is where the Lord called him. This is the Lord pressed him into service. Now just listen to this story. Maybe it's new for some of you. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year, this this is his testimony. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Wow, isn't that great? What a testimony. They need to make a movie about that. Isaiah, he went to heaven and came back, and this is what he saw. He he saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And he said, above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings, they, they covered their faces. Who does that sound like? Does that sound like the Pharisee? Oh, Lord, look at me. I'm so glad I'm not like them. No, that sounds like the tax collector who's before the Lord and he's got his face covered. These creatures in the presence of the Lord, high and lifted up, couldn't even, couldn't even bear his presence. They covered their faces with their wings. And is that how you live your life? Is that how you approach prayer? Or do we just kind of want God to bless what we've already got going? Oh, Lord, just, just bless this meeting, Lord. Bless this decision. Lord, bless it. Here we go. We're taking off. Bless this trip. Use us, Lord. There's two responses. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, Isaiah said, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now watch Isaiah. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Does that sound like the Pharisee? That sounds like the tax collector praying. I'm a man of unclean lips. The words that have come out of my mouth have been so unpleasing to you. And I live among a people whose lips are also unclean, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth. How faithful is God. How faithful is God to move in the life of a man or a young man or a young woman who's willing to bow in humility before him and transform her life, purify her and make her ready for the work. He's faithful. He can't work with the Pharisee. They've got everything figured out. There's not even an option for God to move. You've, You've just already set your plan in motion. He couldn't alter it if he tried. But here Isaiah His life has changed. His whole perspective is transformed. And the Lord purifies his mouth personally. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins have been forgiven. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. 
Send me. I think one of the reasons we don't see more answer to prayer is because it's all about God hearing our voice. And until he does a work in my life, until he purifies my life, my motives, my affections, that's when I start to hear his voice. As soon as Isaiah's life was transformed, his own witness, he said, I heard his voice. I heard him. And he said, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah said, I will. I'm ready. Oh, wow. I wonder why more young people don't go. Why they don't have the the courage and the resolve to to leave family and home and and all the entrenched affections of of, of everything that is built and and kind of constructed around. Why don't they go? Because they, they they can't hear his voice. The other voices around them are, are, are too loud. They've taken such supremacy. They, they can't hear his voice. They've never seen the Lord high and exalted and lifted up. They've never been, they've never experienced that. They, they've only been high and lifted up and exalted by everyone around them. They can't hear his voice. Jesus said, come follow me. Well, I will, but I, I got to go bury my dad. Well, that sounds right, doesn't it? Not to Jesus. There's a higher calling on your life now than your dad. Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Well, I've got I've to take care of the funeral. What is everybody going to think if I don't go to my own dad's funeral? Jesus said, come follow me. follow me. Well, I, I, I've got some business to take care of. We've got this thing. You know, everybody's going to be there. And if I'm not there, it's going to look really bad. Jesus said, follow me. The ones that follow, hear his voice. Their lives have been transformed. They've, they've seen the Lord high and lifted off. They've, they've got an exalted vision of the purpose for their lives. They've heard his voice and they go, they go. Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. The tax collector went off to the side, covered his face, and cried out for mercy. And Jesus said, Jesus, the authority of our lives, the Savior of our soul said, that's prayer. That's what it looks like. That's what moves my Father's heart every single time. You want to know why God might not be working or answering the prayer with, because, on behalf of your children? It's because you probably aren't hearing his voice. You're just asking for his blessing on your already established plan and strategy. Or whatever. This is the way of God. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, humility always comes before honor. Every single time. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves 
will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a lot easier to watch a young man or a young woman or a father or a mother or a dad humble themselves than it is to watch God do it for him. But you will be humbled. You will be humbled. Are you thankful for your salvation this morning? Those of you who know Christ? Are you glad for redemption? Do you give God praise for forgiveness? Your sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west. They've been removed from you. Are you thankful? Can I get a witness? Listen to this. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. There was going to be a wedding. And God, in his sovereign mystery, sent an angel to visit a young woman virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You think? <laughs> But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. I take it Mary was like the tax collector. In the gracious habit of coming before God with her face covered, crying out for mercy and help in her time of need. Because that's what Jesus said, gains favor from God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. That's good to know, isn't it? <laughs> you know? That's kind of neat. Some people want to find out, other people don't want to find out, but this, you're going to call him, you're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to be great. <laughs> now, that would be good to know, right? Is this guy going to be greater? Oh, no. Let's, <laughs> this could go either way. <laughs> Hang in there, ladies. Okay, God's got a plan you and your kiddos but anyway how gracious of the angel to say to mary he's gonna be a great one <laughs> i don't know why i got a kick out of that but i did the lord god will give him the throne of his father david this must have changed everything in mary's mind wouldn't it yours he's gonna be great oh by the way he's gonna be israel's king oh <laughs> my son's gonna be 
I'm going to put that on the birth announcement. <laughs> you know? Wow, that's a lot of information for a young woman. But remember, she's already found favor. There's a reason the angel went to her. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now watch Mary's question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Pretty good question. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was uh, said to be unable to conceive, is now in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Nothing is impossible. Look at this response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled and then the angel left her. And here's Mary's prayer. Now I want you to listen to this and tell me as you think about Jesus' story, which one of the two men this reminds you of. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised. Are you grateful for your salvation? Are you thankful for mercy? Do you give God praise for forgiveness? Your salvation your Savior came through a mother who agreed with God about who she really was and submitted her life willingly and humbly to his gracious will. And you are here today justified before God because of her prayer. <laughs> I don't know what we should be thinking about today. Probably our mothers. And that's a good thing. But I think they would want us to be thinking about our lives. Am I willing, are you willing to bring your life under the full scrutiny and goodness of the Lord? And like Mary and like Isaiah, like the tax collector 
and like so many other people, bow in humble, willful submission to him. Because if you are, nothing is impossible with God. There is nothing he cannot do through you and your life. Let's bow before him. Lord, be gracious to us. We are undone apart from you and your mercy and your grace. We are so thankful for your word. Do your work in us. Where our lips are unclean, make us pure. Where the motives of our hearts are unjust, make them right. Change us for your glory for your sake, in your name. Amen. I want to speak directly to the young people today particularly. Even if you think you're young, no problem. But I think you know who you are. Your life is all before you. Today is the day of the Lord for you. Today, if you hear his voice, you need to respond. to humble yourself before the Lord and before this body of believers and say, I agree with God. I want to follow him. I want to give my life to him. I want to be willing to do whatever he asks me to do, to leave whatever he asks me to leave, to follow him and him alone. This altar is open. I will meet you here as you surrender your life. I'm calling the young people today particularly to surrender their lives in obedience and humility before the Lord today, this day for his glory as we sing. Let's stand and sing.